Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. You're listening to a special Citizens United at 10 Symposium episode of the show. In recognition of the 10th anniversary of the Supreme Court's Citizens United decision, we're interviewing scholars about the research on the decision and the issues that it raises. We're also taking a look forward for things to watch for over the next 10 years. We'll return next week with our regular episodes. As usual, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app or let others know about the show too. Our next guest in the Business Scholarship Podcast Citizens United at 10 Podcast Symposium is Chara Torres-Filosi, Professor of Law at Stetson University. Chara, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Thanks for having me. Chara, you've written in this area, and I wondered if we could start the conversation with maybe an overview of the work that you've done uh, as it relates to Citizens United, as it relates to issues of election law, issues of corporate law. Sure. So I was a lawyer at the Brennan Center working on the issue of money and politics when Citizens United was being litigated. And so I'm one of the few people in the world who can say that they put in briefs on both rounds of the Supreme Court case since it was argued twice. And while Citizens United was up at the Supreme Court, I also wrote a white paper for the Brennan Center trying to spell out the worst-case scenario if the Supreme Court got rid of the corporate expenditure ban and what corporate law problems that would possibly raise. And then the Supreme Court came out with their ruling in early 2010, and it was the worst-case scenario. And then that white paper was published by the Brennan Center. People in Congress saw that piece and invited me to testify about the corporate law problems. And they sort of boil down to two things. One is a transparency problem, and the other is a consent problem. And this is from the point of view of corporate shareholders. So the transparency problem is that corporations, even publicly traded corporations, are not required to tell investors where they are spending money in politics. And then the consent problem is sort of a twin problem, is that corporations don't ask for shareholders to vote on corporate political budgets. Now, this is in contrast to what happens in the UK. So the UK, different political system, very similar corporate culture. And in their corporate laws, they require shareholders to give an affirmative vote authorizing corporate political budgets for corporations. And so the corporation is bound by that budget. And if the corporate officers go beyond that budget, then they're actually personally on the hook for any damage that does to the corporation. And that is a very different system than what we have in the United States, where a shareholder may not even know that a corporation is spending in politics and they've had no chance to say up or down, this is a good idea. So (laughs) over the past decade, I have tried to change U.S. law so that there would be more transparency of corporate money in politics and shareholder consent to corporate money in politics. So I worked on a bill called the Shareholder Protection Act. It's been introduced in several Congresses, And actually, in H.R. 1, which was the package of democratic reforms that the new Congress passed as their first big bill, 
that actually contained parts of the Shareholder Protection Act. So it would have allowed for votes for investors to consent to corporate political spending, as well as aspects of greater transparency. Now, sadly, H.R. 1 is sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk and will probably never see the light of day. But this has been a long-time project of mine to try to actually change federal securities laws to require more ability of shareholders to have a say on all of this. The other thing that I've worked on is trying to get the Securities and Exchange Commission under their existing powers to promulgate anti-dark money rules. And so there was a petition that was put in by 10 corporate law professors in a, a bipartisan group requesting a new rulemaking. And so what my coalition did is we tried to demonstrate to the Securities and Exchange Commission that there was popular support for this. And over a million people wrote in to the SEC asking for this rule. And it was sort of, it was going along smoothly until we, we apparently caught the attention of Senator Mitch McConnell and what he has done over the past couple of budgetary fights is he has inserted riders into the federal budget which say to the SEC, you cannot complete a rulemaking on dark money. And he just did this again like last month, which is totally frustrating, but you know, it's part of our democratic process. So there's been this effort at the agency as well. Uh, and then finally, I work in coalitions that actually use shareholder resolutions company by company by company asking for greater transparency of corporate political spending. And that has been a long slog, but because of the results of those shareholder proposals, hundreds of U.S. corporations are now more transparent about their corporate political spending than they were the day that Citizens United was decided. So the precedent may be firmly entrenched uh, for a time, but there is a lot that can be done on the securities and on the, the shareholder democracy front as well. Ten years past or ten years after the Citizens United decision was handed down by the Supreme Court, what have been some of the surprises, or not surprises, some of the things that you've expected or that don't come as a surprise that you've encountered as you've been working on this issue as a scholar, or as a, an advocate? Sure. So I've written two books about corporate money and politics. One is called Corporate Citizen, which is directly about Citizens United and its aftermath. And then my most recent book is called Political Brands, and that sort of takes it <laughs> up to today. And some of the things that happen in you know, 2016 to the present are in some ways completely different than some of the problems that were predicted by Citizens United. So what I could predict in real time was that there would be all of these corporate law problems, that there would be disagreement between management using other people's money in politics and shareholders, the actual providers of this money. 
Uh, but the Trump run for office raised a whole new host of corporate money and politics issues, including just the weird overlap between what money coming from the Trump campaign and going into the Trump organization or coming out of the Trump inaugural and going into the Trump organization. And so there were far more actually constitutional issues that are raised by the Trump presidency, like the Foreign Emoluments Clause and the Domestic Emoluments Clause, which are just separate and apart from the Citizens United problem. So the Citizens United problems I usually conceptualize as the problem of corporate money flowing into the political process. And the Trump family has raised an entirely different set of problems, which is basically political money flowing into a corporation that is also ultimately owned by the president. Uh, so I guess that's one difference. Safe to say 2016 had a lot of elements to it that maybe weren't as predictable in 2010. Exactly. Another thing that I was surprised about if you look at the whole decade is just what coward corporate spenders ended up being. I mean, one of the things that we saw in the past decade was a billion dollars of dark money being spent. And by dark, I mean, you can't tell the original source of that money. But one of the big dark money conduits is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. And I think it's a safe bet that most of the money that is going through the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is actually corporate money. And all of those donors are not spending under their doing business as names, which means they're utter cowards. Which, and it's, it's frustrating as a voter because they have the resources to spend enormous amounts of money to influence who gets elected in our federal government. And yet they do not have the sort of simple courage of putting their name where their money is, which is something that individuals actually mostly do in our political system. So, you know, you've given $27 to uh, Bernie's campaign. You're likely, if you get up to the $200 disclosure threshold, then you're going to be associated with that political donation. But our good friends in the business relations the shops of our major corporations know how to game the system such that the corporate spending is still anonymous. Looking ahead 10 years to 2030, January 21st, 2030, what will you be watching for on the Citizens United front or the Speech Now front or issues kind of related to this intersection of money and politics, corporate law? Are there any predictions that you might hazard to offer? Sure. Well, with the current conservative majority on the U.S. Supreme Court, they have been very busy deregulating corruption. And one of the chapters in my book, Political Brands, talks about rebranding corruption, which is what the Supreme Court has been up to. And so I think that trend is only likely to get worse, as in the Supreme Court is narrowing what counts as corruption, which makes it very difficult to prosecute white-collar criminals who are politicians. And it also makes it very difficult for legislatures to justify passing new money and politics restrictions, because essentially 
unless that money and politics restriction can be linked to quid pro quo corruption, the court will not uphold it as being constitutional. And I think that trend is likely to get worse before it gets better. On a slightly more optimistic uh, <laughs> tenor, post-Trump, I think there might be a appetite for reform in the area of money and politics that we haven't seen since post-Watergate and the resignation of Nixon. So Watergate inspired all sorts of different reforms at the federal level, from the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act to the Federal Election Campaign Act, and there could be a similar wave of reforms post-Trump. So we could get reforms in the area of securities laws, and we could get some campaign finance reforms at long last. Our guest today on the Business Scholarship Podcast, Citizens United at 10 Podcast Symposium, has been Chara Torres-Spellacy, professor of law at Stetson University. Chara, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast and the Podcast Symposium. Thank you so much for including me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.